Today's episode of Fizzo is made possible with the support of Saris, a manufacturer of bike accessories committed to making their products in Madison, Wisconsin, USA. Makers of car racks, bike infrastructure, and cycle ops bike trainers, Saris Origins are firmly rooted in an unwavering dedication to the bicycle, and more importantly, the quest to set cyclists free to get in touch with the world around them. Whether riding to and from work, in a virtual environment, or wherever the compass may lead, Saris range of products have freed millions to experience the power of the bike and ride without limits. To learn more about Saris, visit saris.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Put Your Socks On, or Fizzo, as it's more affectionately known. The show where we break down the biggest performances of road cycling's biggest races, giving you a peek inside the world of professional cycling. This week, as every week, I'm joined by the legend and expert, Bobby Julek. Mate, how are you going? I'm doing great, Gus. Here we go again. Today's going to be a great show. We're going to be covering stages four through nine of the Vuelta as well as preview what we have coming down the pipe from stages 10 through 15. But there's been so much going on this week in cycling. Let's touch on a little bit from the other races that were going on this last week. Definitely, Bobby. Uh, But before we get into that, I wanted to, first of all, uh, thank our listeners for tuning in and reaching out to us over the course of the week. We have a stack of Fizzo socks to give away, and uh, we'll be reading out one question per week and the lucky listener whose question we read out will receive some of these socks. These socks are cool. Uh, so make sure you get at us on social media at Bobby Julik or myself at that is Gus on Instagram or shoot us an email superfan at velonews.com. Uh, Bobby, I think we should address this week's question at the head of the show um, because we've had quite a few people ask us the same one and I feel that we need to we need to cover it. So this question is from the listener DQ. Uh, he wants to know where the name Put Your Socks On came from. Bobby, can you shed some light? Put Your Socks On is just basically once you put your socks on in the morning, you're committed to going outside. You're, you're committed to going training, right? But yeah, that's that's it, man. Once you put those socks on, you're committed to going out the door. And that was the whole thing about the name of the show was put your socks on, get to it, go out the door, go training, go riding, enjoy the day. But you got to put your socks on first. So that's kind of where it came from, I guess. I think uh, anyone who's ridden a bike uh, and has, you know, felt the fatigue of training and been up early in the morning will attest that that is once, once you put the socks on, you're committed, you're ready to go. But until that point, it could go either way. Let's talk about the week in racing um, before we get on to what, what has been an epic week of racing at the Vuelta. Um, should we start with uh, the Tour of Germany? Tour of Germany is back. You know, we got some good German riders back. Um, you know, there was seemed to be a little bit of a lull in German cycling for the last, um, you know, probably 10 years or so. And yeah, it was just great to see. You know, there was it looked like more of a sprinter sort of race this year. We had uh, stages won by by uh, Ackerman, Kristoff. Great to see Kristoff back. You know, we're talking about mm. getting ready for the Worlds. You know, he's um, he's showing some some form there. Uh, and Casper Askren, 
you know, the guy that we've been talking about since uh, the beginning of the year, second in Tour of Flanders, second in Tour of California, just the absolute workhorse in the Tour de France, and he comes back and wins the stage in Tour of Germany. And then the final stage was won by um, Cobrelli. And good on him. You know, Trek hasn't had the best, Trek Segrafredo hasn't had the best season, but Jesper Stuyven comes through with the the overall GC win. Also very interesting that, um, you know, the mountain bike world championships were on. And, you know, you I'm, I'm used to watching the men's, the under 23, the women. But what was really interesting this year was that they had the E mountain bike worlds. Yeah, they did. And I know we mentioned this uh, last week on the show because um, there was kind of like the motocross or, or motorsports equivalent version of this race that took place, which was, was kind of quite awkward. But the, uh, the EMTB Worlds were, were up this week and it looks like they were, you know, they were uh, a, a pretty good race. The, I guess we should first talk about the rules uh, of what, you know, the, the parameters these guys need to, uh, or these bikes, sorry, need to be um, contained within. So it's a 25 kilometer an hour speed limit. Um, you're not allowed to throttle on the bike, so it's only pedal assist. Um, the maximum power assist is 250 watts, and that's a sustained 250 watts. So yeah, and it turns out like no one, you know, no one seemed to run out of battery or get close to that. The course was a six-kilometer loop, which they actually, um, I guess, you know, this is a, is very much a work in progress. And so over the course of of the days leading up to the event. Um, they consulted with the riders and and everything like that and ended up kind of crafting a 6K loop, which had some apparently like ultra, ultra steep climbing sections and then some kind of longer, more more downhill-like descending sections. Um, from all accounts of the riders, it seemed like it was it was a pretty fun race. The men's race was won by the current under-23, or well, uh, the, the at the time reigning world champ, under-23 world champ, Alan Hatherty. Um, with notable performance, uh, mountain biking legend Julian Absalon was in third place. And the women's race was won by Natalie Schneider uh, from a field that, that had a couple of world championships in it and a couple of continental uh, cyclocross champs in it as well. So definitely uh, definitely not mucking around when it comes to the field there and, and the course. Yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued to know more about this event and um, be interesting to see what the public thinks about e-mountain bike racing or e-mountain bike riding or basically e-bikes in general. You know, there's gravel bikes that are assisted now. You have road bikes, mountain bikes. I mean, I like it. I really do like it because it does allow beginners to ride with maybe more stronger riders. And I think it gets more people on the bike. I mean, it's been in Europe for a while, right, with the e-mountain mm. biking where they actually, you know, take the e-bike up the climb, which not many people could do, and then they do the descent, right? But now it's it's all over the place. I, I like it. Yeah, I, I, I'm intrigued by it, and I think it's great seeing, uh, you know, technology. Cycling needs to uh, to engage it and embrace it, and electronic bikes are a big big thing here. So let's throw it to the, to the listeners. Uh, what 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 do, what do the listeners think? I know cycling is a traditional sport, and I think that the e-bike's very divisive. So we'd love to hear from from you guys what you what you think. Uh, shoot us an email or get at us on social media because uh, we're intrigued to, to to know what you know know what you guys think. What about the uh, the non electric assisted world championships, the the cross country men and women's? How uh, how do those races play out, Bobby? I tell you, that, those were some cool races to watch. I mean, I think I can ride a mountain bike, 
But when I saw the rock gardens and the obstacles that they had to go through uh, on this course, I, I could never do that. I would get off my bike and walk down there. I mean, there's roots and and big, huge rock faces, and I, I don't get it. But I like the way that they run the event. It's a smaller lap circuit, so you do a couple short laps, and then you go out and do some of the longer laps, the more technical laps. But I thought that was great for the fans, and the, it was exciting racing. Uh, the women's race was won by Pauline Fernand Prevost, who definitely was at one time the big hitter across all disciplines. She was world champion in the mountain bike, cyclocross, and the road race. But she had some injuries, and I think just earlier this year, she came back from that iliac surgery. So yeah. great great to see her on the top again. And, you know, she finished ahead of Jolanda Neff from Switzerland. Rebecca McConnell was f- from Australia, finished third. Mm-hmm. And Kate Courtney from the U.S. finished fifth. So, um Great, great racing there from the women. Yeah, and then in the men's world championship, Nino Schurter wins for the eighth time. That's unbelievable across any sport. Um, he has been an absolute beast of uh, an absolute beast of, of world mountain bike championships. And and uh, in the past year or past couple of years, we've seen we've seen Vanderpol um, being very competitive in the in the mountain biking scene. But he was notably absent. He was uh, he was racing on the road. So it'll be interesting to see if he uh, lends a bit more time to to the um, to the mountain biking in the future and potentially tries to nab one of those world championships. Yeah, I have to admit, I was a uh, you know watching that race. I was wondering the whole time, you know, what if Vanderpol was here? What if Vanderpol was here? But a notable thing, the guy named Gerald Kesselbaumer from Italy. Mm-hmm. This poor guy looked to have second place wrapped up. Yeah, looking good, last lap. And then all of a sudden they flash and the two French guys pass him or the, the, the Swiss guy <laughs> and the two French guys pass him. And then you see him pulling a Chris Frome, like running up the running up the uphills because he had a rear flat blew out his wheel. And man, poor guy. I, I had to feel for him because he was doing a fantastic race, you know, not more than half a lap from the finish. He has a mechanical and drops from second to fifth. So I had to feel for the guy, but really cool watching that that event. Yeah, mountain biking it's super exciting and 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 it, but it's also super brutal. Um, and and that's a yeah. big part of it is uh, is being able to take the right line and and all that. Let's talk about GP Poulet. Yeah, Grand Prix Poulet. That's that's not the easiest circuit out there, and it's not the easiest place to get to. If you've ever been to that race, it takes almost like a whole day to get there and a whole day to get back. But uh, the women's race was won by wor- current world champion Anna Vanderbregen. Uh, Corin Rivera, USA, was was second. And Amy Peters uh, was third. Really good to see Sepp Van Mark back on the mm. front, you know, winning, winning big races. And again, you know, with the World Championships coming up, there's another guy that's putting his head above the water saying, I'm ready. Before we touch on the Vuelta and, uh, and get the recap of, of what's been an exciting week there, I just wanted to talk, it's, it's contract season or transfer season. Everyone's announcing their moves and uh, a lot of big riders on the move this year doing the merry-go-round. I just wanted to quickly touch on it. Um, Nibali to Trek. What do you reckon? Good move? Oh, boy. I don't know about that one. Um, becoming more and more of a fan of Nibali. And I do think that having Nibali there is going to help Richie Port because Richie has always kind of had that Chris Frome, 
that that Brad Wiggins, you know, kind of somebody to share the pressure with a little bit. And now I have it with Nibali, but it is going to be a big diff- uh, change there. You know, Nibali is used to doing things his way. I think he's bringing pretty much his his whole entourage. So we'll see how that that fits. Absolutely. And then we've got uh, this is quite a big one as well. Viviani to Kofidis. Kofidis of uh, as we saw this week ridden really well in the Vuelta and they've kind of stated that they want to get back to the World Tour and uh, Viviani is, is, is the biggest of, of a few marquee signings. Yeah, he, he's bringing his brother to Kofidis as well and as a stagiaire, he actually won a race already so mm. um, that'll be interesting. I mean, you know, we'll get into it later in the, in the, in the Vuelta uh, recap and preview but Kofidis is uh, starting to show some signs of life again which is good to see. We have Gilbert going back to Lotto Sudal. You know, he's been been away for six years, but it seems like a bit of a logical move, you know, as he's sort of coming towards the twilight of his career. Yeah, we, we love Philippe Gilbert. We had him on during the tour podcast. It's kind of cool seeing him go back to, you know, the Belgian roots. And for, for him, he's just all about cycling, you know, promoting cycling. He's got a bike shop. You know, he does work with juniors. And to see him in his in the last couple of years of his career go back to Belgium and, and try to play it forward with Belgian cycling, I think is fantastic. Uh, the biggest probably news this uh, over the last couple of weeks, Tom Dumoulin to Lotto Jumbo. That team uh, has really stepped up this year. And, I mean, they've got a lot of really good riders, you know, particularly for general classification with Kreisweik and, uh, and, and, and Primoz Rogelik. Tom Dumoulin, how do you think they're going to balance that? That'll be interesting. And that not only comes down to how the riders get along, but how clear the, the senior management is from a leadership standpoint. Because too many cooks in the kitchen can be a problem quite often. And, you know, we see that Sky has kind of mastered that with having so many great riders on the same team, but it's not as easy as it looks. No, I know. I'm, I'm really intrigued to see how that plays out, but um, I'm excited as well because I think it would be nice to have, have a team of, of Ludo Yumbo with a guy like Tom Dumoulin and, and Rogelik there to really take on Team Sky at the Tour de France next year. Mikel Lander on his way to Bahrain Merida. It seems like that guy's always on the move um, and always playing second fiddle but it looks like he might have his his uh, he might have his his rightful kind of place on that team, and with Rob Ellingworth going there as well, that could be a really powerful powerful uh, duo. Yeah, I'm a big fan of of Rod. I I wouldn't say I'm the biggest fan of Mikael Landa, mm-hmm. and you know he's going to be the leader of the team, and I haven't really seen the best leadership capabilities being displayed by by him in the past. So. You know, I think with Rod there, it'll help. They work together at Team Sky already. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. And Israel Cycling Academy have picked up Dan Martin. That seems to me like a bit of a odd move for him. Um, I feel like he sort of never fully hit his straps at UAE, but going to Israel seems like a, a strange one. Israel Cycling Academy is, is really growing. Um, I think this is a great move by Dan. I think that that organization is doing some really good things. And, you know, signing a guy like Dan is really going to help them uh, move forward towards their goals of, you know, being in Grand Tours more consistently. That will be interesting to see. You're right. They are growing and, and they've got a, uh, an increasingly bigger presence at the front of the peloton. You know, they just won the Tour of Utah with Ben Herman. So going to be exciting for them and to see what they can do next year. Talking about exciting, the first 10 days of La Vuelta are done and what an insane 10 days they were. We saw the leaders' jersey change hands seven times, 
if I'm correct. It was Lopez, Roach, Lopez, Tuins, Lopez again, Nicholas Hede, and then finally uh, on the rest day, it lands with Nairo Quintana with a, the slenderest of margins, only 20 seconds separating the top four places. Man, forget the Tour de France. The Vuelta is going to be the most exciting race of the year. Yeah, it's, it's definitely off and on, isn't it? Like uh, yeah. you don't see that, that consistency of a team taking the, the race by force and controlling everything. One day you see them ride back a group and then go for the stage win, and other di- days you see, see them you know, let the group go. So where did we leave off? We left off on stage three. Um, yep. So let, let's talk a little bit about stage four. That was the, the sprint win won by um, Jakobsen from, mm-hmm. from Decoinic Quickstep. Um, yeah, you know, he beat Bennett. Yeah, it, it definitely went to, to um, what is that? Not instant replay, the... Um, photo finish. Uh, photo finish, right? But um, great to see him. You know, beating, you know, winning a, a big stage in the tour, uh, in the Vuelta. Um, I always think with that name that he's either Danish or Italian, but he's actually, so do I. But he's actually Dutch. I was looking. So when I was watching the sprint finish, I was like, "Who's this guy?" Uh, and it was Jakobsen. And I, for exactly that same reason, for some reason, the image in my head is him in the in the Danish champions jersey. So there you go. <laughs> Let's talk about stage five, and uh, this one we pointed it out. Uh, you marked it last week as as one of a uh, one of the, the the many difficult stages this week, but the first kind of real big boy, and um, and it was it was an epic stage with the win going to the tiniest team in the race, uh, and Angel Madrazo um, was the winner of that stage. Man, what a like. Yeah, just sort of talk through how big this is um, for such a tiny team. They actually had two guys in that breakaway of three. And they had uh, Mandrazo, the eventual stage winner, who kept having, I, I think he was dropping his chain or something consistently because he'd be like with those other two guys and then he'd be off and then he'd be back and then he'd be off. But, um, you know, the, the one rider, Jose Harada from Cofidis, he basically did that whole last climb as a time trial. And I was just thinking to myself, um, either this guy is super conf- confident or super in- unintelligent. Because, and, and what happened at the end, he got jumped by both of those guys. But yeah, it's great seeing a smaller team win a stage in a Grand Tour. It doesn't happen very often. So hats mm. off to the, the Burgos BH team. Absolutely. I just want to note too that... Um Angel Madrazo, someone was looking down because, you know, as you said, he was yo-yoing on and off um, the, the the leaders on that final climb before ultimately winning. But he was also hit by his own team car at the base of the climb. Uh, his team car was feeding on the left-hand side and the driver, you know, lost concentration and actually s- swerved across to the right, hit the back wheel of Madrazo, who then went into uh, Harada. Fortunately, neither of them were injured. I mean, neither of them even came off. It wasn't. It, it was a non-event. But um, it just shows you that 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 someone was looking down on him uh, on that day, and and he, you know, <laughs> got the win in the end there. So that was uh, quite remarkable. In the GC race, uh, Superman Lopez took back the yellow. Uh, took back the red jersey. Excuse me, um, and uh, and sort of stamped his authority as as perhaps the dominant climber 
in the race, shedding uh, quite a bit of time on Quintana um, with Rogelik and Valverde not too far behind him. So it was the first shots fired, I think, in what was uh, a very hard first week. Yeah, moving on to stage six, uh, let's just say this was a day to forget for EF education first. Wow. You know, they had Uron and Hugh Carthy go out in the same crash, which also took down uh, Roach. The, yep. He had lost the jersey the day before, but um, and I found it quite interesting that Roach said that this was one of the most disappointing moments of his sporting career. And it just goes to show you, you're, you're leading the Vuelta de España for three days. You lose mm. the jersey, although he fought valiantly the day before. And then the next day, you're in the hospital and out of the race. This sport... I say it time after time. It is just brutal. It is brutal, and 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 it's sort of indicative too. I think of the way that this first week is is playing out. No team is really wanting to take the reins. You know, like Astana were happy to lose the jersey, and and as we saw a couple of times later in the race, they did the same thing. You know, um, the like because it's so hard. I think people are af- afraid to to ride and to set order, and as a result, it's a little bit more chaotic. Um, and then, you know, you see, uh, all, like three guys from, uh, from, uh, EF crash, you know, Iran and Carthy go out at once. Um, and that's indicative again, same thing. The teams are riding together. And when you go down, it means that more riders from your team go down and potentially the risk is higher. So it's difficult to, to play. And, and it's just demonstrative of how this race is, is, is playing out with no one really taking the helm and creating kind of any order. In the bunch, um, TJ Van Garderen also crashing later on that stage and then ultimately abandoning later on in the race, but uh, a terrible day for EF. Good day, on the other hand, for Dylan Toons. Yep. Dylan Toons, again, just what a great season he's having. Stage mm. win in the Dauphiné, you know, winning on Planche de Belfi in the, in the Tour de France, driving it to take the jersey uh, on this stage. He's, he's, he's really having a fantastic season. And, um, you know, you, you got to respect what he's done. And it just seems like he's got that day on, day off, day on, day off sort of ability where he can go into the breakaway and then he has to, you know, throttle back a little bit and then he goes again. Um, but, yeah, great, great win by Jesus Harada, the brother yeah. of Jose Harada, who <laughs> the day before finished in tears because he – maybe bit off more than he could chew and underestimated those two riders from Burgos BH. Mm. He wins. So when I first saw it, I didn't realize at the beginning, because, you know, how often are you paying attention to every, every guy's name, name Harada? You assume that they're the same. Same but dude, yeah. I, um, I had to go back and uh, change my notes there because I realized that it was Jesus Harada and not Jose Harada. So good, great, great stage win for Kofidis. It's been a while since they've won a stage in a Grand Tour and, you know, a very fitting... Um, leader with with Dylan Toons. Let's go to stage seven, um, which we saw as I as I just mentioned, Van Garderen abandon. You know, uh, bre- after breaking his finger the day before, Valverde was the winner on what was a searingly steep final climb. That that was amazing. I mean, the whole day was pretty neat. We we saw yeah. we saw our friend Philippe Gilbert up there in the front dropping uh, Colombian. Uh, climbers that were in the breakaway with him, yeah. you know, it's like 
I mean, Phil is just class, right? And he's definitely getting ready for the Worlds. And to see him climb like that, he definitely put his name at the top of the list as one of the contenders. But when, when it was that steep of a climb, and you had Rolick, Lopez, Quintana, Micah, Valverde, just basically doing, doing a match sprint sort of um, thing all the way up the climb. But we're seeing some really good teamwork as well. We saw, you know, Movistar doing some good stuff, Astana, and even Sepp Kuss was very, very strong at the bottom of that climb. When he pulled off, there wasn't that many guys left on his wheel. But I'm still in awe of how Valverde at this age can be at that level, winning a mountaintop finish against those guys. Um, he's 39 years old, but man, he... It, he looks so good winning a stage like that in the World Championship jersey. Yeah, it was really cool to see. And and like he was getting dropped. There was a period there where he sort of came off the wheel, but you know, that experience and and uh and that caginess, he just let him go a little bit and then came back and sure enough, really uh explosive sprint there in the finish and opened up quite a bit of time on on uh, on a couple of the other guys. So that was cool to see him uh on what was a brutal day. And then you know, stage eight comes around and another day where we saw the G, the GC teams just happy to let it run away and, uh, and let the, uh, the break go. When I was watching this, I was thinking, is this indicative of Astana's lack of strength, you know, or are they playing a more tactical game here? Um, it was a wet day. What, 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 yeah, what, what do you reckon some of these teams are doing? Are they, are they playing a tactical game or do you think that they've just not got the strength that they would take to a race like the Tour or the Giro. Yeah, I don't think they want to have the lead consistently. I mean, they took it on the on the first day. They let it go. They got it back. They let it go. Um, and and I don't have a problem with that. I think it was mm. actually quite smart. No team in the Vuelta this year can ride from start to finish of every single stage. I mean, these stages are brutal. It, everyone's kind of on fumes. Even the best guys are tired. Even the best guys have maybe done you know, the classic season, one of the two Grand Tours prior, and they're just just hoping that their form holds out. But you got to let these things happen. And I thought that was, it was a big gap, right? It was like 10 minutes at the end. Yeah. But what I what I like to see was um, Peter Stetna, the guy who's been staying fit. He wasn't selected for the tour. He's been staying fit doing that alternative calendar with Dirty Kanza, with uh, the Leadville 100 mountain bike ride mountain bike race um it just goes to show you that you can stay you can as long as you keep your head in the game no matter what you're doing as long as you're pedaling in circles you can you can keep the form and 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 perform in a grand tour absolutely i also think too that um it demonstrates that in those races you know uh he was i think uh, second at um dirty kanza uh who was it was won by colin strickland who isn't isn't a professional considered a, a professional certainly not world to a professional cyclist so it demonstrates also as well that there is a lot of condition uh in these alternative calendar races from from bike riders that you know aren't the typical world tour pro they don't race for for, for world tour teams so that's also cool to kind of see that it kind of brings i guess you know you look at these world tour riders and um and you can't really associate with their performances you like they're on another planet but i think that uh what you know some of these teams are doing going and racing the alternative races and that it demonstrates that i oh, know maybe they are kind of closer to our human level and and maybe there is uh there is sort of more connection there so that was cool to see and 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 um the win there going to nikki Asan 
really good uh, sprint finish there. I don't know if, if you watched it, but he just sat in the seat and he came from about 10 wheels back and just rode through the middle of that bunch and, uh, and won by a couple of lengths. So, yeah, he really, uh, he really dominated that. And Nicholas Ade, Cofidis, we spoke about them earlier today. They are having somewhat of a renaissance and uh, Nicholas Ade taking the red jersey, which was really cool to see from that team. Yeah, been a while since not only winning a stage in a Grand Tour, but actually leading a Grand Tour. So things are going in the right direction. And, you know, it's the snowball effect, you know, so it'll be interesting to see what they can do the, the rest of the race. But for me, the real, the, the best stage of the week was stage nine in Andorra to Corte de Ecamp. That was a bike race. There was so many things going on. I mean, those guys started climbing right out of the block. So you knew they were doing warm-ups on the turbo trainer. It was a short stage, but everyone was nervous. Straight up a cat one. Straight up a cat one. Like, you're, you know, it's, it's the third grand tour of the year, and you're starting straight up a cat one on a 100, 100K date. A um, lot of stuff going on. A breakaway got up the road. Kofidis riding tempo. I haven't seen that happen in a Grand Tour in a, in a long time, that's for sure. Uh, Sunweb kind of took over. And then one of the funniest things that I've seen in a while was Esteban Chavez from Michelton Scott. He had a mechanical of some sort, and he was given a bike by his teammate, who was a good 10 inches taller than this kid. I mean, he's, he's short. And when he tried to get on the bike and he couldn't even touch the pedal, he couldn't even sit down on the seat because he couldn't touch the pedals. I'm just thinking to myself, man, you know, you, you, you gotta be a little bit more in control of what you're doing than just taking a guy's bike that you can't even touch the pedals to. Um, you don't, you don't see that often, but you know, it it just goes to show you the way that team Ineos dealt with that situation in the tour de France. And then the way this happened and I know, okay, you know, Esteban Chavez is, is not one of the the big favorites for this, but you know, you think they could have done a little bit better there. Yeah. And, oh man, it was comical. It was comical because he changed bikes again and then, uh, onto, uh, bike and then, and then same thing, he couldn't sit down because, I mean, Chavez is tiny. Um, and so he eventually got back on his own bike. And from there, just to, 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 to stay on Chavez, rode what I thought was a really exceptional race to get back into that front group, you know, ultimately lost time, but to actually make contact again with that front group. Um, hats off to him and, and Gourmet for, for being able to do that on what was a stage that was less than three hours. You know, it took them less than three hours and we could talk about this stage for hours um, with the amount of stuff that, that happened. Let's talk we, about we when... Gotta, lo- we we got to talk about that, that second, second climb, the horse category climb, yep. and then the descent off of that, and then the gravel section. That last climb was actually three climbs in one. They had, yep. <laughs> you know, that, that was so brutal. And... All of a sudden, like we're getting to a very exciting part of the race. Lopez is taking the, the race by the scruff of the neck and attacking very, very early, putting everybody in difficulty. And then it goes into the gravel section. And what happens? The weather turns terrible. Um, we lose. TV footage goes out. TV footage goes out. We have no idea what's happening. And then they're, they're panning to the finish line. And you see the heavens opened up. I mean, it's pouring. It, there's hail on the road. All of a sudden, I'm thinking about the extreme weather protocol. 
But mm. I'm like, wait a second. These guys are on a dirt road, not that far from the finish. I hope they don't stop the race because where are these guys going to go? Like yeah, jump, exactly. under, jump under a little umbrella from somebody standing on the side of the road or, or, or whatnot. But one of the best quotes I've heard in a long time was uh, I was watching on NBC Sports Gold, and I believe mm-hmm. um, you know his name, uh, the Australian guy that was doing the commentary. McEwen? Or, um, no, 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 it was, uh, yeah, 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 um, Matt Keenan, Matthew Keenan. Yes, yes. He, he <laughs> said something so cool. He said, quote, grab two of everything and run to the ock. I, I, I was just laughing. My, I was laughing after that. I was like, man, that's what it looks like up there. But when those guys came out of the gravel, everything had changed. You know, like Astana obviously had a plan. They had some guys up in the breakaway that they were sending back to help with Lopez. And then Lopez mm-hmm. gets to the gravel. Um, Fuglesong had, had drifted back for him. And then they come out of the gravel and he's not even in the lead anymore. Like, what happened? No, he was back in the group, and 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 um, Fuglesang was behind the group. So, I guess what happened was he came off. Apparently, he came off in the in the gravel section. The two of them, um, and it, it could have been worse. Uh, I think they just came down and they re- they rejoined the race back in that group. But like, we saw that happen. Rojlik had a, uh, an incident with a motorbike in the in the dirt section. Um, Emerging from that dirt section, we saw Movistar, uh, the young rider. Uh, his name Soler, Mark Soler. Soler. Mark Soler, excuse me. Yeah, Mark Soler was in, in the front of the race all of a sudden. And, uh, and that group of leaders was back together. But, man, he, he was alone, right? He's going on mm. to potentially win the stage. And then over the radio, he gets the call that he has to wait for Quintana. Yeah, and who had broken he was free, not happy finally. about that one, and I can't blame him. But you know, when you're trying to win the overall and you have an opportunity to put uh, time in the GC on the GC contenders, you know that that's terrible. But I think that was the right call what they had to do. But he definitely wasn't happy about it. No, and I think Movistar have had uh, a bit of an issue throughout the year. Um, it seems with kind of with a bit of harmony within the team at least outwardly they're not doing a great job of of dispelling um any of this sort of disharmony rumors and we saw that you know Quintana on the attack uh yesterday split that stage up was going away solo and wasn't that far in front and then we see Valverde start attacking and almost bringing guys back up to Quintana and you're sort of thinking what on earth is going on here and then and then you see the team call back um, Soler and Soler's up in arms and sort of half waiting, not waiting, and then ultimately waited and and did a really good job for Quintana and helped him take the lead of the race. But it did seem that there was still just a little bit of um, I don't know, a little bit of disharmony in that in that team. What do you reckon? Yeah, we see it time and time again. You know, they have so many good guys and uh, they don't seem to really be on the same page quite often. But you know, the story of of the stage for me was Tajay Podokov. Yeah. We talked about him. We, we became big fans of him in the Tour of California. Mm-hmm. And, man, he wrote... He, this, this kid's 20 years old. He's 20 years it's old. Ridiculous. He was born in 1998. And he was just calm as a cucumber, staying on the wheels, letting all this drama play out. And then, man, he looked so strong. He must have got, gotten through that gravel section very, very well. 
very, very well. Because next thing you know, he's solo and he just drove it all the way to the line, finishing what 20 seconds, 23 yeah. seconds ahead of, of Quintana and put the rest of the guys in, in the rearview mirror. 20 years old, first grand tour. I tell you, the sky's the limit for this kid. It's going to be so exciting. And we're not the only ones that see this. His team knows how good he is, so much so that they actually signed him to a five-year deal. So UAE signed him to a five-year deal. Like, it's insane he ain't, he ain't going nowhere. He ain't going nowhere. It's insane to think that in five years' time, he'll still be considered a young rider. Um, but yeah, he, that performance was, was incredible. And, and you know, we, haven't really, we haven't even mentioned his name today. And that was almost the same way yesterday. He just kept his head in, you know, uh, followed his plan, didn't expend any energy when he didn't need to. And then when Quintana attacked, who had been aggressive all day and had spent a lot of energy, he just sat behind him, waited, waited, waited until Quintana started fading and then just went on his own. So, um, man, like he's got uh, the brains to match the brawn. Really, really good stuff there. And the, to cap off what was an incredible first week of the race, the top four separated by only 20 seconds. Um, and with, a, with Pogacar moving up into fifth overall and potentially we might see him over the next two weeks push towards uh towards the the top four uh on the overall standing so exciting stuff let's talk about next week yeah today is the rest day the quote-unquote rest day of of the vuelta um they didn't make the organizers didn't make it too easy on these guys because tomorrow they have a very difficult time trial so mm. these these GC guys are out pre previewing the course, uh, making sure all their material is good. Um, I wouldn't say that they're sitting in bed just eating eating cookies all day long. They're they're going to be busy, but um, sets up a really interesting scenario, right? Like we've we've seen the jersey change so many times. Rolick mm-hmm. has definitely been strong. Rolick is definitely if he's climbing as well as he is, you can just imagine that he's just going to scorch this time yeah. trial. But it's very important. So like you just said, after nine days of racing, the top four guys are separated by 20 seconds. Back and forth, back and forth. They're given time, taking time, given time, taking time. In a time trial like this, we may be talking about minutes that he yeah. puts on these guys, not just seconds. Yeah, this could be the most decisive day of, of, the, of, the, of the race. And I think it's pretty obvious that, that Roach League, barring any disaster, is going to take the lead of the race here. And put himself in a position to defend it until the end. Um, and it's going to be up to, to the other three being Valverde, Superman and Quintana to attack him. And, and well, first of all, to limit losses and then to figure out where uh, the best opportunities are going to come over the next week to take back time. Yeah, I know it, your pick's Rogelik for the day. Um, yeah, yeah, that would be my pick. But remember, this, this, this time trial starts straight uphill. You got a two-kilometer climb at seven-ish percent, just right out of the right out of the blocks. Then you have nine k flat. Then you get into the first time check at eleven point five kilometers, a little downhill, a little bit flat. Then a little climb at six percent for two k, leading into the second time check, and then a flat-ish final ten kilometers. So, you know, th- a, a time trial. It's not straightforward. And, you know, the guys that are climbing well will have, you know, will be able to limit their losses. But we don't see time trials, you know, this long very much 
anymore, period. But let alone with, with two decent climbs. And the profile is such that this is going to take a lot of concentration. The pacing strategy is going to have to be very important. And it, it's going to come down to experience. And I don't see anybody beating Rolick on this one. No, I think you're right there. I think he's certainly a solid pick. Um, and in light of you choosing him, I'm going to go with Thomas again. He wrote a good time trial in the Tour de France. Um, and this being the longest one of the year, I think that it suits suits him and there's a couple of climbs in there. So, yeah, we'll see. But I'm, I'm going to go with Thomas again for this one. Yeah, stage stage 11, I think this is going to be a, a sprint day, a yeah. breakaway day. Uh, they, they definitely deserve it, these guys that are sticking in the race and getting up all these climbs and dealing with the weather and the heat and whatnot. I think this one's going to come down to a sprint. Yeah, my pick's Bennett, I think. Um, he seems to be the quickest, uh, and barring a positioning mistake like he made last week, I think he's he's the guy to beat. Yeah, and then uh, uh, the next stage, stage 12, I think this one is going to be a, a breakaway. I think it's going to favor more that uh, that punchier breakaway mm-hmm. guy. I mean, there's it's flat at the start, and then you have three category threes, um, and then you have a three-kilometer climb at 11% with about 10K to go. So those punchers, it only being only being three kilometers at 11%, yeah. but you know, you're, you're, you're going to see some good punchier riders being able to use that as a springboard out of the breakaway, I believe, because yeah, I think there's this, still no team strong enough. Rolick may have the Jersey, but I think, uh, Jumbo Visma will, will want to maybe let this one go. Stage 13 on Friday, brutal finishing climb, uh, 166 K couple of smaller climbs before that. And then, well, when I say a couple, six <laughs> uh, cat, uh, cat threes and cat twos, and then the final HC. This is a big day. Yeah. Other than the time trial uh, this week, this one is going to be important. Big GC implications. And this is where guys like Podcar, guys like Quintana, will have to take t- some of the time back that they probably mm. will lose tomorrow in the time trial. Yeah, I think uh, I think we'll look to Superman. You know, we saw yesterday... Um, and, you know, I guess we'll never know because he, he crashed on the dirt section, but a really well-executed move by him and his team. It shows that Astana, they weren't bluffing in that first week by losing the jersey. They have a really strong team here and they're committed to Lopez. So I think we should look to him and potentially Quintana to uh, to try and do something to, to take back some time with Valverde sort of sticking around logically and uh, and trying to just chip away in the final kilometers there. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if Pojakar can continue to push back into the GC battle as well. But... Um, Going to be a really exciting stage. Stage 14. 188K. Uh, I see breakaway written all over this one. You got yep. uh, a, an 8K, a category three with at um, for eight kilometers long at 3% with 20K to go. Pretty much every sprinter will be able to get over that. But the question for me is how many sprinters are going to be left by now? Exactly. So, it may very easily come <laughs> come down to, you know, a non-sprinter winning a reduced uh, size group sprint. But um, we'll see. I think you know these guys need to keep plugging away if they're going to be preparing the worlds. These these sprinters need to continue, and 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 this will probably be one of the last sprint days for a while. And that little one kilometer uphill, that's just mean. Um, chucking that in there at the end of what, what otherwise would be a very straightforward sprint stage. So Sunday, end of the week, stage Oof. fifteen. Another big uh, mountain day and one that's kind of more characteristic of the Giro or the Tour. They're longer, kind of Cat 1 climbs um, spaced out throughout what is a reasonably long stage. How do you reckon that's going to play out? It's sort of the last opportunity, well, second last opportunity, I think, to put in big time on Rodgelik 
um, before the end of this race. Yep, another another huge climbing day. Four Cat Ones finishing on a 11-kilometer, 7% <laughs> climb with, um, you know, horse category. And, you know, th- these guys are, are going to be so tired by now, but, you know, this is when it comes down to using your team correctly, sending guys up the road, pulling them back like Astana did the day before yesterday, um, using your teammates, getting everyone on the same page. But this this is another one of those. Uh, so this week I see this being the third kind of like four-star day. You got the time trial, yeah. um, the, the, the first, what was that, stage 13? Stage 13, and, yeah. And, and then uh, this one. So again... Leading into a rest day after this stage, it'll be quite interesting because the day after that is another big mountain day. So that, um, like I said, these race organizers haven't made these rest days very easy for the guys to relax. No, it's uh, it's going to be, there's going to be some tired bodies at the end of this race, but an exciting week coming up and I can't wait to follow along and then check back in in a week's time and, uh, and see where our predictions fell, but also just see what is uh, happening in, 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 a, in a really exciting Vuelta 2019. And with that, Bobby, that's the week in the Vuelta and what a big week it was. Uh, there's another big week coming up, as we just discussed. There's also the Canadian one-day races. So all the riders who aren't at the Vuelta who are preparing for the Worlds will get to have a glimpse of their condition there. To our listeners, thank you very much for tuning in. If you like the show, make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts. We're now under our own feed. So put in the search bar, put your socks on, subscribe, leave us a comment, leave us a rating. Uh, If you have any questions for us, make sure you get at us, superfan at velonews.com via the email or Bobby or myself on social media. And please tell your friends about us. Uh, Spread the word. We are growing rapidly and we want to keep on growing. So it's up to you guys and thank you very much. Bobby, as always, an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Gus. Thanks everyone for listening on this Labor Day. And as always, don't forget to put your socks on.